You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Inside the Man Box. I am Rick Fry. We are brought to you by Oneness Ministries, grace-based, hope-filled, spirit-led counseling and teaching and life coaching. To learn more about us, go to our website at oneness-ministries.org. Also, Marshall Fence, the premier residential and commercial fence company in Oklahoma City metro area. Contact them at 405-691-1191 or visit their website at marshallfence.com. Well, today I have a. I think I'm gonna. I think this is gonna be a fun show. I have Dr. Andrew Nelson, um, and I've forgotten where you, where where are you from, Andrew? I am in Reno, Nevada. Reno, Nevada. That's right. I saw that on your website. Um, yeah. He's an author. He's a theologian. He has his PhD in theology. Is that correct? Yeah, systematic theology, systematic. long, long, funky word. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds impressive anyway. And, it, and, you've yeah. written, <laughs> and you've written five books, is that correct? Yeah, so I have three out and a fourth coming out right now. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to get into those and talk about those. And I've read, I've read your blogs, and uh, those are pretty good blogs, and I want people to know how to get to that and and uh, oh, yeah. read your read what you write. It's good, really, really good stuff. Yeah, want, hey, thank you. Yeah. I want to say we met at, um, we met in Dallas at the Network 220 conference. Um, yeah. And matter of fact, I don't know if you know, but that those interviews are posted now on our website, on, the, on our podcast. So I took all the guys. Oh, and, good. I'll get those. Yeah. I'll, I'll grab that and yeah. put that on my website too. Yeah. yeah. Cause I, you're in there somewhere. I don't remember exactly where, but but I took all the, I took all the, uh, the interviews I did with guys and made one, one interview. It's about, I don't know, about 50 minutes and then, um, put it on inside the man box. So people can look for that. Oh, great. Yeah. So let's talk about your books. You, the first one yeah. looks like fight for grace. Yeah. Fight for grace. Tell yeah. Us. It came out in, uh, in 2012. And that was, that was sort of the end of my processing the new covenant, uh, in my life. And, and that was, that book was basically taking what I, what I learned, what had set me free and, and writing about it from a Trinitarian perspective, from the perspective of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and how our understanding of grace and the new covenant really impacts how we view the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and how we relate to them. I see. So that's what that came out of that. And how long? How long um, did you struggle with understanding this this sort of new grace message? Because there's a lot of controversy. There has been a lot of controversy mm-hmm. around it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I would say, I would say, so I've been a Christian for 20 years now, and I would say probably for, oh, eight to 10 years, I was, I was very confused about how to relate to God through Christ. And I think that, you know, I, I would read verses like John three sixteen, 
16 and 17, I'd read verses, you know, talking about God's grace and being saved through grace. But then I'd also read verses like 1 John 1, 9 that said <laughs> that I've got to confess or I'm not yeah. right yeah. or I'm not forgiven. And uh, the Lord's Prayer, which, you know, says if you don't forgive others, you're not going to be forgiven. And it says that twice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I've studied all this at the dissertation level. That's what my doctorate was about. And so I've been able to go through since then, go deeper into this. And, you know, you say this is a new grace message. And in a lot of ways, that's true, because there's no one that that I found that that views the Lord's Prayer from the perspective of the new covenant right. and First John 1, 9 from the perspective of the new covenant. And yet it's a very old grace message, right? We're saying we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. And so what happened with me in my journey was just God bringing me, showing me how to take these thoughts captive to the gospel. And at the very least, finding freedom in what Christ had accomplished and trusting in what Christ had accomplished and realizing, oh, hey, that's what he had wanted all along. Um and then from that, working through these these difficult passages. So that's, you know, the book came out of that. And then, like I said, the dissertation uh, revisits that in different ways. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about how you interpret now First John 1, 9, because, gosh, that is such a controversial piece of Scripture. And... Mm-hmm. And in my my experience, and I'm I'm pretty much where you are. I use the word new, the new grace ex- message, because I haven't been involved in it that long either. It's only been about five or six years since um, mm-hmm. I discovered Dr. Andrew Farley and and mm-hmm. the stuff that he's written that you know caused like a paradigm shift. But First John one nine, tell us what you think that is. Yeah, so I I agree with a large majority of scholars that First John is written to Gnostics or to a right. a pre pre version of Gnostic or some flavor of that. And that's the funny thing is that that you will find many scholars that agree with that. Now, where the disagreement comes. And, and where I have not found anyone, um, you know, agreeing with this is, is in how to apply that to First John 1, 9. And, and this idea of having to confess to be more forgiven. So it's like there's a lot of unity on, hey, this letter is written to Gnostics um, or addressing some form of early Gnosticism. But there's no unity on First John 1, 9. Boy, no feeling. And, Yep. at least as it relates to the new covenant. So the vast majority of people will say first John one nine is for believers and that believers are forgiven, but they need to be more forgiven or they'll even say that first John one nine is the way back into salvation. Once you have lost it because you've become so uh, surrounded by sin and so enmeshed in sin. So what I found was was that if you look at First John 1, just that chapter, yes. you actually find a lot of evidence for this Gnostic heresy that was being addressed. You find two main issues addressed, Jesus 
did not come in the flesh. Gnostics believed that. Right. And sin was not an issue with God. In other words, because your meat suit, for lack of a better word, because your body is evil, God didn't care what you did in your body. Because when you died, you left your body behind. And believe it or not, we find evidence for that in chapter 1. John says, hey, we have seen, we have heard, we have touched Jesus. In other words, he came in the flesh. He was there. And then we also see this second heresy, the second lie uh, combated, which is that, hey, if you don't acknowledge your sins, then you are calling God a liar. That's verse eight, right? right. Yes. Um, verse verse ten, I believe, uh, was worded this way: "The truth of God is not in you, if you don't recognize your sin." Well, sandwiched in there is First John one nine, and it's a great verse. It says, "But if you confess, which means agree with God about acknowledge your sins, He can cleanse you from what all unrighteousness." Yes. So then, when you look at the rest of the book. When he's addressing believers, he says, my little children, and he says, you've been forgiven. Um, you've been cleansed. You know, you've believed in the Son of God. You have eternal life. All these very positive attributes. And so First John 1 is really just setting the foundation for the gospel presentation that he gives in the rest of the letter. Mm-hmm. But we look at First John 1, and we, we see the pronouns, you know, the we, the us. And we think, oh, it's we, it's me, it's us, you know, it's my family. It's... But no, he's looking at this very troubled church, and we don't know what church it was, but this church atmosphere that's very troubled, and he's saying, hey, we in this group, let's let's draw some lines in the sand. If we don't deny, if we deny that Jesus came in the flesh, you're not in the faith, sorry. Uh, if we deny that, Sin is a problem, you're not in the faith. Sorry. And that's really what he's doing there. I couldn't agree more. You're exactly right. Because John talks about the three, there are three sets of people he's talking to the we, the little children, and then the Gnostics. And the we yeah. he's talking about are the disciples. They saw him, they touched him. He laid his head on his chest at the whatever the Last Supper was. Sure. Yeah. So, so John knew him intimately, and uh, and then the little children are obviously the ones who are believers. So, yeah, Gnosticism is a. Um, I think we I think we're being revisited by Gnosticism today, um, in some forms. So. Yeah. Yeah. Is, how so? Um, I think that. Well, I think that they're that they're denying that. Christ existed, that there are, there are people sure. who are denying that the, the, the Christ, did, the, the person of Christ, and they deny that, well, I'm, they're even denying that God exists, so. Um, sure. Yep. Sure, yeah, and then, you know, wherever you find denial of sin in its right. various flavors, I mean, in the New Testament, that's, that's false teaching. You know, if you ever find someone that's saying, hey, sin is okay, yes. uh, run for the hills. <laughs> yeah. And and it's not okay, but in our case it's completely forgiven. Right, it's taken away. Yeah, That's right. 
So for and you can correct me if if you don't agree with this, but I think that sin for believers is no longer an issue. Of course, we do. We you know we can we do sin. I'm not saying that we don't sin. We we do I I what I call really stupid things, but and I do I do feel necessary to confess. But I don't confess to get God to forgive me. I confess for me that I acknowledge uh-huh. that what I've done is really stupid. So, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sin is no longer a barrier between us and God, and and we've been set free from its power, right? right. We have a new heart. That's exactly and, right. And I agree. The confession thing is, you know, we people, people have said, hey, you don't, you're saying confession is wrong, and 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 no, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is, confession does, is not this transaction where you you pay God your confession and then He forgives you. Right. Uh, confession is an ongoing conversation with God, and it can look like a million different things. It doesn't have to look like you know sitting in a confessional booth or sitting in your corner office. You know, it it can be just talking to God about truth and, you know, and and so we've got to separate that confession is fine, but don't do it to get more forgiven. That's, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. (laughs) And, you know, it's one of the things that I counsel is that confession is, is saying to God that my behavior is inconsistent with my identity and yeah, and you know that's that's, good. that's the truth. So, yeah, it's good. Yep. And your next book was Children of the King. Tell us about that one. Yeah, Children of the King. So, Children of the King was a fairy tale that I wrote for my daughter, and I wrote it purely for her. That's that's probably you know the the first book has been read more. Children of the King is probably my favorite book just because I I wrote it with a very specific intention in mind. Take my daughter on an amazing fairy tale journey mm-hmm. and help her grasp somewhat the God that I know. And so I I've written my relationship with God into that into that story, but it's basically you know, a simple story of friends going on an adventure to save a kingdom. Uh, but within that are themes of grace and redemption and uh, Jesus being portrayed in a certain way and uh, adoption, what spiritual adoption means and how we can find belonging uh, to God, uh, you know, through Christ. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I have to confess I haven't read it, but I really would like to order it and read it. When I when I no, read yeah. when I read the short description, I immediately went to a C.S. Lewis type um, story. So I don't know if, if you were influenced influenced by that or not, but I'm, I'm I loved the Chronicles of Narnia. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Nar- I mean, I don't know how you can write a fiction fantasy and not be influenced by Tolkien and Lewis. Yes, I think <laughs> I think that even if you say you're not influenced you're a liar because in some way, (laughs) in some way you're influenced by, by both of them. Uh, and that's exactly right. I was definitely impacted by 
Lord of the Rings yes. Um, yes. and Narnia and, you know, wanted to create sort of my own version of fairy tale land. So, yep. So I'm, I'm anxious to get it and read it. So did your, when you read it to your daughter, did she, was she able to understand what you were writing about or did she just enjoy the story? You know, she's six now and, and I wrote it four years ago. So when I, when I first read it to her, a lot of it was missed. And in fact, I need to read it to her again now that she's older. Um, But what was amazing is when I read it out loud, there were several times that I wept because there, there was something to verbally communicating this God that I know uh, to my daughter through this story that was just really amazing. So she, maybe she remembers dad crying, you know, but, uh, but at some point she'll read, she'll read the book by herself or I'll read it, you know, to her again. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm anxious to read it. Now this one, the one that's getting ready to come out. Okay. When did you write hyper grace? That was your thesis. So, so well. hyper, yeah, Hyper Grace is my thesis, okay. and I, I'm not sure if that is available yet. It will be available, but it'll be available through, you know, the sort of academic website. So uh-huh. you, you'll, pro- unless you're a student, you'd probably have to purchase it, um, you know, and that that money just goes to the university. So, uh, but you can you can find it. You'll be able to find it sometime in the next three or four months, I think. Well, tell us about it. Tell us about Hyper Grace, what, what you wrote. Or so can, or can so Hyper Grace, yeah, 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 oh, okay, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm past. It's published. I'm done. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so this, this dissertation was my way of trying to bring this conversation about grace into the academic atmosphere. And so to do that, I needed to find a starting point and, and my, I thought it would be really interesting to research this hyper grace label, uh, that we've probably all heard, but that is actually really poorly defined. Um, and you, you find it defined by authors like Michael Brown. I don't know if you've heard of him, oh, but yes, he wrote I've a book him, called, yes. yeah, yeah. Yep. So he wrote a book called hyper grace and, I, when I read that book, and I know it's not an academic book, and I don't know him as a person, um, but it just it felt very one-sided and incomplete. And I, 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 I looked at that and I thought, man, I think there's a really good space to study this term and define it better. And so what I did with my thesis is I, I provided a definition for it um, through, you know, a lot of you know, almost a hundred thousand words because species are very, very beefy and long <laughs> and boring. And you only read it if you're, you know, want to go to sleep at night or you're just, you really want to study. But I basically provided a starting place so that we can discuss this academically. Now I don't use the funny thing is I don't use that term hyper grace in my non-academic life because I, I don't find it to be super helpful when you're ministering to people. Right. It's just another barrier, right? They, right. they hear hyper grace and then they have to overcome that barrier before they even get to the new covenant. 
but from an academic perspective saying, hey, I think this is a movement that we're going to look back on from, from a church history perspective, and we need to study it. We need to understand where it's coming from. So the main, the main point of it was that what we are seeing in this exodus from man-made religion into the grace of God is we are seeing Martin Luther's separation of law and grace taken to its ultimate conclusion. And that's what I argue in the thesis, that, that Martin Luther had great foundations, but he didn't go quite far enough. And... And I also argue that it, another guy, T.F. Torrance, I don't, you know, if your readers have heard of him, but I, I argue that, okay, good, yeah. So Hyper Grace is also applying his ideas about the salvation in Christ to a to a more full extent. Um, so that's that's kind of the big picture of the of the thesis. Wow. So the argument has been and I've heard this, I don't know how many times that, so you're saying that I can just go do whatever I want and God's forgiven right. me. And I go, right. how could that, isn't that the same argument that Paul had that right. may grace abound so that we can right. sin more? Well, no, heaven's no, that's not true. Right. And so, right. and that's, that's the language you find with Michael Brown. Yeah. And, and, and his contemporaries is, this sort of straw man argument about what hyper grace is. And, you know, uh, supposedly what we're saying from his perspective is that we can just be lazy Christians and we can be passive and, you know, sin is, sin is okay. And, um, but that's just not true. I mean, I've, I've been in this movement for, 10 years now and I've been studying grace for a long time and I've never once heard anyone say that. <laughs> no, so. no, as well, as well. Excuse me. <laughs> I hate that when that happens on in a podcast. That's okay. And, You're you know, allowed to cough. <laughs> and as I think about this, is there any other thing but hyper grace? I mean, I just... Grace is so important and so much a part of, of what we, how we live, that we have to understand that. Right. No, yeah. I mean, is grace hyper, you know, is it, you know, and what they mean, what Michael Brown and his people mean, uh, is that hyper in a negative light, that we're trusting in it too much, we're relying on it too much, there's too much of it. Um, but that's like the, you know, the exact opposite message is presented in the new Testament that, that is there too much? Well, I mean, there's more than you need and that's what we need, right? I mean, we, (laughs) we need to be drowning in grace. Otherwise, otherwise we're lost. So, um, and you're right. You know, it is a new Testament term. It's not, it's this, you know, the, the, the word is super paraseo, and and you can find that uh, next to grace in the New Testament, and so it's basically saying hyper grace. And Paul Ellis has written about that in his book. Yes, uh, hyper grace uh, for those who want to look it up, but he has a good section in that. Well, it's 
grace that separates the two covenants. Um, mm-hmm. And it, grace is the result of the of finished work of Christ, which fulfilled the old co- covenant. And it's right. the result of the cross. So that's an important distinction that uh, we need to make because mm-hmm. that makes the yeah. two, that makes the, the law and the, the old covenant, the new covenant incompatible. It doesn't do away with the law because the law is God inspired a beautiful document, but we are no longer under it because of the finished work of Christ. Exactly. Yes. And, and Paul, you know, when you read Paul, he, especially in Galatians, you, you really get the impression that the law is a, is a placeholder for the new covenant and, and that it's almost sandwiched in between the promise to Abraham and the new covenant, which is the fulfillment of that promise. Right. And so the, the law is absolutely from God, but what I get when I read the New Testament and the Old Testament is that the new covenant is an eternal covenant. It's, it's the message from God. And the law, as fully righteous and good as it is, is a precursor to that. Yes. It's not it's not on par with the new covenant. It's it's a it is a, a shadow, as the author of Hebrews says. It's right. obsolete, it's aging, it's disappearing. And that's not my language. That's the author of Hebrews. That's exactly so, right. So yeah. you know right, right, right. But but it almost seems blasphemous to use those words. And yet that's that seems to be the message God is giving us. So, <laughs> I, I believe that is the message God is giving us. I just yeah, really believe yeah. that to be true. Okay, and I want to get to this this book, The Love in the Key of Three. Um, yeah. And the tr- Trinitarian Theology of William Paul Young. Now, as I understand William Paul Young, yes. he's an inclusionist. Yeah. And which is almost universalism. They say it's not universalism, but boy, it sure sounds like it. Yeah. So, so this book is so part of my dissertation was on William Paul Young, and uh, this book is the the adaptation of that part uh, without bringing the hyper grace label into it. Because again, I I didn't I didn't feel like it was helpful at least in this conversation. So this book is, is for people who have read The Shack, read Young's other books, and who are either A, uh, really, really liked it and want to want to understand his thinking better, uh, B, confused by what he's saying and want to understand his thinking better, right. or simply just want to research how he is expressing Trinitarian theology. So, so it, it really, it wears several hats and you use the word inclusionism. If you want to learn and interact with that label, uh, then, then this book's for you. It, it, I just do that within the context of, of what Paul Young is, is writing about. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it's my understanding and I've met this guy, Wayne Jacobson, that he's the one that actually um, sort of saved the shack from being sort of 
I, I don't even know what direction Paul William Paul Young was taking it, but he William Paul Young came to Wayne Jacobson and said, "Will you help me with this book?" And 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 I heard this from Wayne Jacobson. So, um, and then it, when Wayne changed it, it caused a, a rift between the two of them. Are you familiar with that story? I'm not. Oh. No, I I'm I'm not. I I know there was there was I know you know utterings of some things that happened, but I, I'm I'm really I can't really speak to that. Yeah. It's not important, but it was a great movie. I re- I didn't read the book. I don't know. There was there was all this stuff going on about not reading the book, and you know, in the church environment. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I didn't. But um, my wife did, and she and talked me into going to the movie. And I just loved the movie that they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, I did too. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually. I mean, I'm a huge. I'm a huge fan of of him, and I'm a huge fan of his writing. And I don't agree with all of it, but. One of the things that I try to bring out in this book, you know, are things I agree with, disagree with, but I try to do it in a loving way because so much in theology is, is up for conversation. And if we, if we shut the door on people that talk differently, sound differently, smell differently, (laughs) uh, whatever from us, then what we're doing is shutting the door on learning from them and Amen. what I really love about Paul Young's stuff is how he challenges us to think about everything from the perspective of the Trinity and that's why I call the book Love in the Key of Three mm-hmm. because I think his one of I would I would say his main contribution to this is that challenge to say let's think about God from a triune perspective and how that affects how we view atonement and judgment and how we treat each other and our understanding of creation and that kind of stuff. And so all of that that's in the book. And, and I think that, um, you know, people, people will enjoy that because again, they'll see where I wrestle with things and, and they'll see where I disagree with them, but it will be done in a, in a loving way. And, and the cool thing is this book, none of, nothing really in this book is stuff I haven't actually already talked to him about. Mm. Um, and so that's one of the, the gifts of this book is there have been books written about Paul Young that are very, I think, unloving and rude and right. unhelpful. Right. Um, and so this book is coming out of not only my study of him, but I view him as a friend and, and I, we've had some conversations about things and we don't agree on everything, but this book is coming out of that. So, you know, if you want to learn about where he's coming from, what, what I agree with, what I don't agree with. Um, but from a loving perspective, I really think, you know, this is going to be the book for you. Well, I can't wait to read it. So when it comes out, I'm gonna I can't it. wait to have it read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take a quick break. For uh, for just a minute, and I'll be right back. Let's see how long this takes. In a not-so-stable world, it is crucial to amplify the right message. At the Stream Grace Network, our goal is to do just that. We are adding to our stable of podcasters every month, and we are growing. This is where you come in. We want to share in that growth. 
If you are a small business owner looking to grow your business, we'd love it if you'd consider allowing one of our podcasters to endorse you, your products, or services. The best part is that endorsement will never stop running in any episode it is a part of, ever. This is a unique and rare benefit in digital advertising. We want everything we do to be uplifting and to encourage positive growth. And we'd love to partner with you. For more information, visit us online at StreamGrace.com or email us at support at StreamGrace.com. God bless. Okay, we're back. I want to I wanna move into the blogs. Um, I read, sure. well, I read all of them, but Grace in depression and anxiety, you said something that sort of surprised me. Um, you said, I've become convinced that depression and anxiety actually um, are signs of our being made in God's image. Talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've, you know, anxiety has been a constant companion for me uh, my whole life. And in fact, it's it's been the meeting place for me and God, um, constantly. And, and he's brought me a long way with it. And, you know, I, I do what everyone else does when they're aware of their anxiety and I exercise, I, I eat well. And, you know, I, I, I can, I can know him in it and, and I've overcome a lot of it, but it's, it's, it's one of those things that if you have anxiety, it can surface in weird weight um and and it can kind of come out of nowhere yes and one of the things that i have i have i believe now wrongly concluded is and it was kind of on a subconscious level is when i'm anxious or i'm depressed there's something wrong with me and and what i have found gradually is that when i am what I'm really doing is feeling very deeply about something. And, and, and as a creation of God, feeling deeply and being able to empathize with people and being able to have an, an emotional intelligence, you know, when we think of intelligence, we, we often think about our heads, but, but there, there's been work done that has said that there's actually different kinds of intelligence. And one of those is emotional. The ability to know what you're feeling, know why you're feeling it, but also what other people are feeling. And I believe depression is when that gift from God misfires and it's, it's misfocused in some other things and and I, I don't want to oversimplify the issue because this is not a solution to the issue and I realize a lot of people struggle with it more than I do um, but, but what I found is when I am depressed it's usually because I am focusing my deep ability to feel on something that is either out of my control or bothering me, or it's something someone said, or it's a worry that I have about what someone's thinking, instead of 
focusing it in a positive direction uh, towards loving people or being grateful that I feel so deeply about things. <laughs> and I think anxiety is a very similar thing um, where I think if you have anxiety, again, this is not a solution to everything, but if you have anxiety, what it means typically is that you are a highly analytical thinker and your, your thinking is just getting focused in the wrong direction. Maybe it is on something you can't control, or maybe it's on a, a fear or a worry instead of on, you know, I know for me, instead of on applying my mind to studying scripture or to loving people. So it, I, I've kind of in that article, I kind of paint depression and anxiety as, as siblings. And most people will say they are siblings. Um, but I, I just think that it's, it's a, it's a more biblical uh, response to say, instead of saying something's wrong with me, saying, I actually, God, thank you that I feel so deeply and thank you that I think so well, um, but I'm just mis misfocusing these things. Help me focus them in a good way. So that's kind of the, the focus of that article, which just came out. So, um, yeah. I really, really like that because, you know, as a counselor, we were trained to, to see um, depression as anger turned inward, and, and you know, mm -hmm. there, 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 that there may be some truth in that, but I love the idea of that it's that it's not something something's not wrong with you because you feel this unexplicable sadness or. Um, Right. regret about something and and the, the one thing that we can regret and the one thing that we can be sad about is that we don't love people enough so mm -hmm. I, I, I'm I hope I'm interpreting what you're saying correctly well yeah I mean I I would say you know that that um, I'm not even sure I would say you should go be sad you know I, I would say um, we're going to regret it when we don't love people for sure. Right. And, and I know when I'm impatient with my kids, I regret it. And, but God is right there saying, Hey, you know what? You, you love those kids. I gave you a new heart. You love them. I know you do. Yep. Um, and, and you need to know that you do and, and just go do that. Be, be yourself. You're good at that. And, and, and again, the depression, the anxiety thing is, is when, when Satan, Satan is, you know, Satan's job, if we can bring him up, is, is that he, he is about destroying God's creation in whatever way he can, right. whether it's marriage, whether it's gender, whether it's, uh, you know, racial divide, whether it's whatever it is, he will do whatever he can to create chaos. And so if we are built, you know, part of our soul, part of who we are is, is built to feel and experience, and that's a good thing, then he is going to mess with us to try and get that to misfire. He's going to try and destroy that. Yes. And, and so, you know, again, I, I just want to keep saying, I'm not saying that people don't 
really struggle with this. I have times when I struggle with it. My, my medicine is I exercise and that helps me think on truth. I know some people have to go on medication. And again, I, I'm not, I'm not going against that at all, but I'm saying at the very least, I think we can conclude that feeling is good. Thinking is good. And God wants to help us feel well and think well. Um, and Satan wants to go the other direction. Yep. I really, really like that. Um, the next blog was the new me. Talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The new me. So I wrote that after convention 220 uh, because the the whole. Just recently? The whole. Yeah. Just this last one. Yeah. Oh. And, and uh, it was, it was me just writing about what I had been reminded of during that convention. And the, the convention was all about the new heart yes. and who, you know, that we're not just forgiven, but, but God has taken our old spirit and our old heart, which I think are basically the same thing in scripture. And he's given us a new one, meaning one that is a nature that is disposed towards knowing God, disposed towards loving people, disposed towards living righteously, um, disposed towards expressing the fruits of the spirit. And so that article was really just me revisiting that and, and saying that, yeah, there, there is a new me. Uh, and, and when I believed in Christ, that, that, that came to be, I was born again. And so getting to live from that new heart instead of what we, you know, think because our brain is, our mind is what gets messed up. Our heart is perfect and righteous. And, and so that's, that's really the message of wanting to communicate with that. It was really take game convention 220 and, and just sort of re-expressing it um, in, in just a real quick article. You know, you said something that I think needs discussion, and you said expressing the fruits of the Spirit. I was led to believe most of my Christian life that I needed to manufacture those fruits, that those that I need to be the one who created those in me. I'd, I need to make a choice that I'm going to be um, all of those things, and I could never pull right. it off. So... Right. Being fruits of the spirit means it is the fruit of something that I am not. Um, yeah. I can't, uh, an apple can't choose to produce apple or an apple tree can't choose to produce apples. It just does. Right. And um, so when we're in the spirit, those things are the result of walking in the spirit. Would you agree with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think another I, I think another way to say it too is we're talking about the character of the spirit. So what is God like? Well, he is like all of those things. He has always been like all of those things. And now he lives in me in, in union with me. And he has built my heart to express those things. But those things come to me first, right? God is giving me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. He is directing that to me because yes. I need it. And then 
it overflows towards other people. So when I'm being impatient or I'm not being gentle, really what's happening is I am, I am forgetting that he is that to me and, and, and I'm not receiving that from him. Um, and so, yeah, I think again, like you said, it's not about being more patient. It's not about being more loving. That's not what that's about. It's about expressing this infinite patience that you have in you and it names Christ, you know, um, and this infinite gentleness that you have in you, um, the son of God. Right. Right. So very good. Very good. Um, (laughs) I want, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm, my fear is that we're going to be talking about all these blogs and people won't go read them. I want people to go read these because we're, we're just touching briefly on the subject of them. So these are, mm-hmm. they're, right. they're brief, but they're, and, but they're really worth the, the time to read them. And I really, right. want, I really want to talk about Jesus and race, especially mm-hmm. um, in today's um, racial environment and, all of the mm-hmm. separation that's trying to be created between races. Um, so talk about a little bit about the blog you wrote on Jesus and race. Yeah. So this is, this is a topic that I've written on a few times in different ways in the past. And I felt like now was a good time to, to revisit it. And the gist is this, that, that I don't want to, override people's feelings and their emotions and life experiences. Um, but what, what I'm trying to say is that there is only one genuine meeting point of unity and that's Christ. Um, that is any external thing that we look to for peace, for contentment, for satisfaction um, as a meeting place for other people is going to fail miserably in some way. And, and that is because we are designed as people to be united in Christ as children of God and to value one another, regardless of what our skin color is or our cultural background. And I use the word race, but, but really there's one race. Right, it's human race. Yes. So, so it it it's viewing each other, valuing each other, but in Christ, from the standpoint of Christ. And you know, I I mentioned this in the article briefly, but all of my uh, you know friends, minority friends, have been within the context of the church. Yes. And. and I've loved them. They've loved me. And I'm sure their experience of life has been different than my experience in life. Um, but there was unity and, and never once did, you know, race come up in a derogatory way, you know, or, or even in a, in a, you know, subversive way. It was just, we just valued each other. And so that's, that's what I was, what I'm trying to do with this article is get people thinking about, their meeting place and 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 looking to Christ for that unity because in in Galatians it says there's neither slave nor free male nor female Jew nor Gentile in other words 
these are not real identities, folks, right? All are one in Christ. That's what Paul says. That is who we are. We are in Christ. And if that's our starting point, then these other things, which are important things, can be discussed from a loving perspective. And I just think that when we try to fix anything without God, it, it, I know this, it, it, it does not work. And more chaos comes from it and more problems come from it. Yes. And new problems are created, right? Yes. <laughs> and, yes. And, and that's the problem, right? It's, it's not policies and politics, and that's not going to solve it. And until we come back to a Christ-centeredness um, and a God-centeredness, there's no way that this is going to get solved peacefully. But by the way, that's, a lot of that is responding to how the media portrays this. Like I said, I want to... The article keeps coming back to my personal relationships with people of different colors and backgrounds, and they've all been in the context of knowing Jesus, and I haven't had a single issue. So, right, right. So, <laughs> I mean, and and you're right. There is only one race, the human race, and mm-hmm. skin color skin color should have absolutely nothing to do with that. So, mm-hmm. um. Well, we're about to wrap this up. What would you like to leave my listeners with? Man, um, be encouraged that whoever you are, wherever you are, uh, the Father, Son, and the Spirit are close to you. They love you. They've made you um, fearfully and wonderfully made. And they want they want union with you. They want relationship with you in Christ and uh, they will, they will take you in whatever way they can get you. So if you have a mustard seed of faith to throw their way, um, if you have some questions to throw their way, uh, they are eager to respond to those and they are, they are there, they're waiting, they're present and they are not far. That's awesome. That is awesome. And tell them how they can get your books and get to your blog are you are you going to continue to blog yeah yeah absolutely yeah tell them how they can get to those blogs and read those blogs and get your books yeah so andrewchristiannelson.com is is the the best place to go and my books are on amazon um they are you know available on amazon so you can find them there but if you go to that website you'll find the blog you'll find links to the book you'll find reviews of my book um you know from people you'll find updates about the new book love in the key of three uh so i would i would just send people to andrewchristiannelson.com outstanding andrew it's been a great pleasure to get to talk to you yeah it's been fun yeah it has been fun and i'd like to do it again sometime um you're not anytime yeah so um gosh thank you guys for listening um We'll see you next time. Thank you again, Andrew, Dr. Andrew Nelson. Thank you.